Welcome to our channel. Uh, this is the first episode of Karen Wong interviewing interesting people. <laughs> um, I first got interested in doing this because I'd been watching Jordan Peterson and learning some interesting things from him and seeing how it overlaps with my understanding of the world through art. And that got me to thinking there must be other fundamental overlaps in every domain of knowledge. And ever since then, I've been poking around that theory and it has led me to some interesting places and one of those interesting places is Alex Booth from Illinois. Hi Alex. Hello Karen. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure I'm a uh, like you said I'm from Illinois but the southern part of the state so sort of in a rural area in Illinois. What, what part of Illinois? Um, a, a small a small town and down in the southern part well i used yeah. to, I, the only reason i ask you don't need to give me the name yeah, of the yeah. town the only reason i ask is i used to live in iowa and uh, so um you know like keokuk iowa some of those areas down in the southern part of the state are pretty close to southern illinois or at least okay. central illinois so yeah yeah I'd well, go back back and forth there, yeah oh, okay yeah so I'm, anyway i know that area of the midwest so sure yeah so a uh, mid midwesterner i guess you could say and um i work as a geologist and a geophysicist and i do exploratory work in that looking for earth re natural resources and um that's what i do for a living and and some of my interests are what have brought us to talk today and uh -huh. those would those would be things like um uh, some of the things that I heard you talking about with Paul Vanderclay recently. Yeah, Paul is very inspiring to me. I, in fact, I got yeah. inspired to do this through watching his videos. So absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm not uh, as familiar with him as I'd like to be. I've just sort of discovered him recently. Um, I am familiar with Jordan Peterson and. Um, have resonated with a, a lot of what he has to say. Um, and I'm sort of an observer of this phenomenon that's happening with the, you know, the controversy in, uh, in uh, the culture right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I can't say, I don't say that I really choose sides in that. I'm try, I try to be an observer, but what really interests me about, say what Jordan Peterson has to say and what you, you've had to say is the, um, con concepts that revolve around the emergence of meaning out of chaos. Ah, um, yeah, I was just read I was writing some stuff on that today. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. So I think that's, you know, um, just something that I've thought about for a long time myself and have written about, but really haven't constructed my ideas uh, to the point where I feel like they're, you know, worth sharing particularly. But I, I guess what I'm why I reached out to you for a conversation is because I feel like it's important that these these things are talked about and they are allowed to there's information exchanged and I think that um, the exchange of that information sort of is the point mm -hmm. so that uh, new things or novelty will emerge from uh, talking about these concepts and maybe using language that didn't exist 50 years ago or 100 years ago incorporating physics uh -huh. information theory ai and you know philosophy so. i have been thinking a lot about this whole thing the uh, the phenomenon of jordan peterson and yeah. to me what's really cool is this idea that basically he got out there and started talking about these things and the result has been sort of to crowdsource the problem because mm. now even people that aren't paying any attention to Jordan Peterson anymore are talking to each other mm -hmm. and are starting these kind of small groups of, of people going off after different rabbit trails of ideas and, and seeing how these things all fit together. Sure. Yeah. It's been really a phenomenon to, and, and I think that's a good, really good thing. Uh, for sure. So your particular interest falls into this area of meaning emerging from chaos. Is that? 
And what was there something that I said on the, the interview with Paul Vanderclay that particularly triggered that interest or? Uh, yes, I think it's when you're talking about your artistic process. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, that, um, that um, I, I do something similarly um, with, it's, you could call it more on the scale of doodling or. Oh, okay. You know, I, don't, I don't really consider myself to be um, an artist in the commonly accepted use of that word. But, well, I, I think the commonly accepted use of the word is wrong. So. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd love to well, see some good. of your doodling. I, I wish I was better at doodling because it oh, yeah. um, really good doodling requires, um, I'm not sure how to put it exactly, but I, I, I can be too intentional when I'm drawing oh, and yeah. my, mm -hmm. my left brain gets too involved. So what I will often do is turn something on, some physics lecture or something, and listen to that while I'm working, because okay, yeah. that disengages my left brain, so my right brain can kind of just do its thing. And th and that's sort of what doodling is, right? You're busy yes. at a business meeting or something, your left brain is completely engaged, and then the right brain can just go on and do its thing. Yeah, absolutely. When the, and there's something in particular about that process that I think is beneficial. Mm-hmm. And, and needs and should be studied more um, and, and understood. And um, Well, there's a big overlap there with the whole theory of information entropy. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I think the value, one of the values of um, al allowing yourself the time and the space to sort of sit down and focus your attention and get into a frame of mind where it's a very al allowing frame of mind. Mm -hmm. And as you said in, in your talk with Paul, that you sort of make chaos on the canvas and mm -hmm. then you look for uh, points of focus or nucleation, you know, of meaning there to, to work with that. Mm -hmm. and, and I do that as well. Um, and, but I, I do it sort of specifically for the process as a, as opposed to for the end result. And I found that to be a really sort of centering and balancing, um, uh, mm -hmm. pr practice mm -hmm. to do. And I think that maybe one of the reasons that it is so balancing and centering is because um, it's a it's sort of a biofeedback uh, system where you're uh -huh. you're doing something and you're also observing it, and the observation of that is you know feeding back into what you're doing. So there there's becomes this flow. Of course, you know that mm -hmm. the word flow state is uh, very, right. really commonly used nowadays, yeah. but it is it's it's this flow of information. Um, or flow of experience um, from what you see to then what you're doing and with, but the um, interesting part is that by working with chaos like that or with randomness, what, how, you know, there's different ways you could, different things you can call that, but mm -hmm. um, without any expectation mm -hmm. and allowing meaning to, to emerge or allowing you know, at first, maybe the gestalt sort of aspects of vision and meaning making, like you might see a, um, a, an alignment of things that looks like a line or a, um, or a form of some kind with no label. There's no labeling associated with it. Like mm -hmm. that looks like a dog or a horse or a house. And if you can sort of maintain that, um, that's, that's the challenge, isn't it? To make yeah, yeah. that neutrality and not yes. make it into something. It is. And it takes patience. Yeah. And, and so that, that, and that is, you know, something that sort of, um, is in low supply <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. So yeah, uh, there's a, there's an aspect of slowing down, allowing, 
removing the the meaning making or the labeling aspect of your um, awareness and just mm -hmm. and in doing that um, order will emerge it does emerge it's like you can't hardly stop it as you say from from emerging mm -hmm. and when you can approach it from that place of you are aware of order emerging it's a very non-egoic state so mm. you're not the one doing it in in essence there's something that is emerging uh -huh. that isn't you intentionally uh, trying to get it to emerge yeah so that's the thing that i i've been really fascinated i in fact i've been obsessed I would say in the last mm -hmm. three or four months with this idea of anomaly mm -hmm. and um, the the idea of anomaly well have you have you read Jordan Peterson's book maps of meaning I have not okay it's a book that he wrote and published in 1999 when mm -hmm. he was still uh, a professor at university so it's very professorial <laughs> it's not written for public consumption it's very long and wordy okay. and complicated and um, and the only way i was able to understand it at all was that it maps so perfectly with what i understand about art and the elements and principles of design and the mm -hmm. world that is created out of those elements and principles of design maps over onto this world of archetypes that Jordan Peterson is laying out in that book. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so I'm reading Maps of Meaning and chapter four is anomaly. And the whole, there's like, I don't know, 100 pages on anomaly and what he is calling anomaly. So um, it's a hugely complicated idea, but what I got from it was somewhat like you're talking about with art when things begin to emerge out of the chaos or um, on a very practical level let's say i'm an autonomous car and i'm going down the freeway and it's a two-lane freeway and it's clear all the way and there might be cars in front of me and behind me but i know what is expected mm -hmm. i know exactly where i'm going google has mapped my route before i know exactly what's happening and then something veers out of the side lane and a bicycle falls over in front of my car that's an anomaly yes <laughs> or or um everything is going well i'm on my way to work and i get a flat tire or my child gets sick or yeah. you know any number of things can be an anomaly but it's those things that poke their way into our orderly world that we have to try to make some sense out of. And it's in the sense making that we gain information, knowledge, wisdom. So I started looking at this from the standpoint of information entropy. When you have maximum chaos, you have the maximum potential for information. Right. But it's not accessible information to you because of the chaos. And so there has to be some way for that information to transfer, which comes out of making order out of the chaos. And now that information has transferred over into your capacity, your increased capacity for maturity or for growth in understanding. Like you were talking earlier about how we might have new language now to talk about things because of the growth in quantum physics and, and, computing and and that kind of language now gives us a new way of looking at the world that we didn't have before so now when when chaos occurs we have a new way of understanding the chaos that can also be brought over into the order and renew our world <clears throat> so it's that kind of thing that i've been trying to run down yeah yeah uh, what, what what you're talking about makes me think of um, and there and there's a reason we're talking because you know the, we're we're thinking about a lot of the same things and the sort of the the rabbit trails that I've <laughs> got, gone down 
have led me to this idea of stochastic resonance. Okay, that's a word I looked up the other day. <laughs> okay, yeah, see, there's, there's yeah. synchronicity here. Only, only I looked it up because this is so weird. I was laying in bed remembering um, a Bible study I had been in a number of years ago <clears throat> where my Bible teacher was teaching me a certain way of looking at the scripture. Okay. And there is a way of looking, especially at the old Hebrew. Well, I think it's also in the Greek scriptures. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but it's, it's actually, I was, I couldn't remember the word. I later remembered it. It's chiastic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I couldn't remember the word chiastic. The word that came into my mind was stochastic. So I looked it up. And <laughs> really, there's a little bit of overlap. But, okay. but chi a chiasm is, <clears throat> in the scripture, if you really study in depth, you'll see that there is this pattern. Mm -hmm. that goes like this and then goes back out again okay where um there'll be a verse maybe especially in the psalms where it's a poem there'll be a verse where the there's a verse that talks about a certain thing that verse will be repeated maybe 20 verses later at the bottom we'll call that a and a prime okay and then there'll be a b and b prime and then a c and c prime and then you'll see a verse right in the middle that mm -hmm. is not repeated. And that one in the middle is the important one. So you get this whole structure to understand what is the focus. It's almost like building a little jewel case for the important idea. And that's a chiasm. Fascinating. But, but there's also, and I've seen, and the reason I got to thinking about it was that I had just run into an old Bible study that I wrote years ago on the, on the story of Joseph and his family. Mm -hmm. And I had written that Bible study from the standpoint of, when you look at that story, there's all these concentric circles that go in and in and in and in until Joseph is at the maximum point of suffering and then from there, his life enlarges again and again and again until it not only enlarges him and his family and the nation state, but also all of the Hebrew people and then out into eternity. So it's this, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, even over the course of many, many, many pages in scripture, there's this chiastic structure. And I was mm -hmm. trying to remember what the name of that structure was because, yeah. because I ran into a mathematical structure that looks very similar to it and now i can't remember what the mathematical structure was but anyway <laughs> that's well, my brand thing yeah 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 so i ran into stochasm so i want to know what what stochastic resonance means now you're yeah. going to tell me <clears throat> okay yeah sure well i have to say what you know something about what you just said though so sure. um you know when you're talking about things expanding and, and contracting and expanding again mm -hmm. or you know, uh, being diver diverted or uh, separated and coming together and going back away again. Yes. Uh huh. That reminds me very much of, um, you know, sort of like a, a heartbeat or a, or a pulsation that is represented like so many things in nature as a waveform. You know, is it like a, a sine wave? There's a there's an up and then there's a down. And it, ah. it down. Uh huh. And you know, there's so many different ways or uh, containers that you can take and look at information, sort of lenses that you can look at it through. Uh, but stochastic um, is, I think, looked through best through that the lens of the waveform that. So like frequency amplitude phase type of a, a, a lens. So there really it, is a connection between a chiasm and a stochastic resonance then. That's mind blowing. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I think that's the way you and I think. And there's this, you know, like uh, a procedural uh, aspect to the way we think about things mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, from what I gather. And, there's a contextual aspect so you know we're looking and seeing context and connection between uh, things that um you know maybe a lot of people don't see obviously um because they're not looking 
mm-hmm. for the connection. And I sense that from you that you're you're seeing always seeing connections, and you're seeing sort of a chain of connections. Right. Now one thing proceeds to the no- to another. Yes. Uh huh. And, and I so can't I, turn I can't turn it off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Me, me neither. So, <laughs> but stochastic, um, it refers to a, uh, and like a lot of things, there's different ways to, that's been defined and, and looked at, but maybe one of the most interesting aspects of it is uh, a practical application. So stochastic is a, uh, the, a phenomenon, really, by wh- when you have a signal right? So there's information in a waveform, a radio wave, a brain wave, whatever wave you want to think of that contains or carries information. Um, But it's that information or that signal is what it's referred to is is below the threshold of of awareness or it's below the threshold of detection. So it's too quiet, like the amplitude is too too low. Mm-hmm. Um, you can look at that as um, the radio is turned down too low, or you can also look at it as the subconscious mind. Oh, um, okay. Or, you know, if there, there's information there, but we're not aware of it. We're not, it's not within our awareness. It's too subtle. So it's below that certain threshold of detection by our conscious awareness or whatever detector there is mm-hmm. and a, pra- a very practical uh, neat really neat thing that is an application here is what you so you have a a subtle waveform con- containing signal when you introduce noise or chaos to that signal there's um, in particular white noise which contains a whole different spectrum of different um, frequencies Mm -hmm. some of those random frequencies will interact with the signal and combine and boost the amplitude so that's another name for that is resonance when you have similar amplitudes interact they add together and the amplitude goes up and so by interacting with a signal interacting with chaos will boost a certain aspect of that um, of the signal and and bring it up to a level where it comes into awareness um so the yeah that's what i'm talking about yeah yeah that's cool right (laughs) yeah that's really cool can you can you hold that thought for just a second um, cause I want to hear the rest of that, but I want to tell you two things that what you were saying brought up for me. Okay. One was on the, uh, the issue of, um, okay. You were talking about the amplitude being just under what you can understand, uh, what, what the conscious mind can, can detect. understand, can detect. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, two things about that. One is. I've been thinking about this idea of meaning mm-hmm. and uh, how a word only has as much meaning as the receiver can understand. Mm-hmm. So a word to a child is an entirely different thing than that same word is to an adult. Um, and, and obviously this holds true for concepts and, and, characters in movies and everything else you see a movie and one person will interpret the character at a very shallow level because they've never experienced much of life but someone else who's gone through immense suffering will interpret that character with a depth of meaning that that may not have even been intended by the original author of the story and art is the same way you know so our detector is subject to how much input (laughs) We have experienced and so we're unable to detect some things that are actually there but because we don't have the experience and our framework capacity hasn't been built out we can't detect it so that's one thing that came up for me when you were talking and the other thing is um i read this quote this morning from uh 
I don't know if I can find it or not, but it was from, um, da -da -da, I hate when this happens. It was from Michelangelo. Oh, uh -huh. And Michelangelo said, not even the best of artists has any conception that a single marble block does not contain within its excess and that is only attained by the hand that obeys the intellect. Now, Michelangelo used to say every sculpture he ever did was already there inside the rock, and his only job was to remove the excess. Yes. And so somehow, and I had written that um, quote down, I had also written down a quote from Nassim Taleb. Are you familiar with him? He wrote the book about fragile and anti-fragile. I'm familiar with that book title, but I have okay. not read he talks about the wisdom and effectiveness of subtraction over addition. Mm -hmm. In other words, the wisdom of acts of omission over acts of commission. Mm -hmm. Now that really resonates for me because of the way I do my art. Mm -hmm. Because if I start with a blank canvas, then every decision that I make has to come from my intentionality. And there's no space for my subconscious creative mind. But if I, if I start from either from an old failed painting that I turn upside down and try to find something in it, or if I start from creating chaos on the canvas, then I'm removing the things that don't fit and leaving the things that fit, which is the same thing you were talking about with your doodling, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so there's something in this idea of excess, mm -hmm. excess, capacity excess information that is not available to us because we don't have enough capacity internally and the idea of stochastic resonance that the amplitude isn't high enough but the information is there we just can't access it because we don't have haven't met yet the chaos that will allow us to increase the amplitude and and capture the message I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Um. In other, all I'm saying is the information is there. The information that's necessary to understand the message is there in the in the in the sound wave, but we can't hear it because it's below the threshold. Yes. Right. But yes. the information is still there. It can be accessed, and and so that's the way I see like all the knowledge in the universe. There is. There's enough knowledge in the universe for the most sophisticated intellect to be kept busy for the rest of his life and, yeah. and millions of progeny as well. But it's also information that is accessible and fun and beautiful even for a child and even for a developmentally disabled adult. So yeah. there is this beautiful simplicity and also this beautiful yes. complexity Yes. And, and we have the full range of experience open to us based on how many anomalies we have um, come up against in life and how mm -hmm. much information we have transferred from that piece of chaos over into our, into our yeah. lives. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, you're, what you're saying is... Uh, resonating with something that you were talking with Paul Vanderclay about and sort of um, the way you diverge a bit from Jordan Peterson's idea of the hierarchy hierarchy oh yeah and that that really resonated with me speaking about the strings and how in the art artistic community there's uh, there's this string of experience or string of skill string of um, or you can call it a spectrum or whatever, but it's mm -hmm. more like a, a, a journey, a string yes. that's a journey yeah. across that string. And there's people that are on, at different levels and different, uh, by different standards of measurement, they're mm -hmm. at different places on that string. And it isn't a, a hierarchy in the sense that, you know, someone's better than someone else in terms of their value as a human being but right. there's people that have more and less experience more and yes. less natural skill or talent or in skill uh, natural mm -hmm. talent or you know have developed their skills in different areas yes and um 
And so I think that the the destination or that you know or the the top of the ladder so to speak is not to get to the other end of the string it's to fully uh, embody the joy and appreciation you know love and gratitude and all um, those that's good really things good that's really good wherever you are on that string yeah yeah Yep, I, I was totally thinking about the um, the mm, the embodiment issue as well mm. today. Mm -hmm. That's a very important piece. Um, yeah, yeah. I know Jordan Peterson always said that's a very important piece of AI. That until they understood mm. that it needs to be embodied, that there was much about perception that they weren't able to teach AI. Yes, but right. I think that. Um, obviously, the embodiment also affects the whole idea of machine learning. And um, mm -hmm. when we look at the way humans learn, mm -hmm. you can't learn without application, right? You have That's to. That's right. You need that interface. You need that interaction. And mm -hmm. it's, it's um, you know, sensation, intuition, you yes. know, all the cognitive functions, thinking, feeling, sensing, and intuition mm -hmm. that Jung defined in his work. Um, you know, those are the way we interact with the inner and the outer worlds. And um, that is information. And that is, those have, um, those can be thought of as information or as frequencies of, um, that have certain vibrational frequencies. Mm. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the brain and mm -hmm. look at an EEG and the, the pattern of uh, firing of neurons, it, it is a waveform. Um, and so. And do yeah, those waveforms differ based on whether it's um, cognition or emotion or? Um, from what I've studied, just um, which isn't, you know, anywhere near knowing what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. but, <laughs> I'm in the same know. boat. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is not going to stop me uh, <laughs> from talking about it uh yeah i think there's um there's a guy named dario nardi who has done some work in trying to map out um the the way that different typologies personality types which is a how how you use your cognitive functions mm -hmm. how, how they're stacked um from from a dominant like a, uh, the ones you use dominantly or predominantly uh, to the ones that you don't use very often. And the way that those line up determine to a large degree your personality. So there's a whole science of personality. This is sort of related to um, the big five uh, traits, but it's a, a little bit different way of looking at it uh, that Myers and Briggs uh, sort of came up with their, M it's called the MBTI system, mm -hmm. um, based on cognitive functions and Jung, Jung's work. Um, but yeah, I think Dario Nardi has done some work with EEG that shows that um, he's been able to sort of tease out when you're thinking versus when you're feeling. Mm. Um, and I'm not you know, there's an introverted and an extroverted um, polarity to, to each of the cognitive functions. Um, so there's a total of eight of them. There's four introverted and four extroverted. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's, if you, you might look, look that up. Um, I will. I wrote it down. Yeah, that's really mm -hmm. good. Yeah. And I think there's other, there's other work. There's, um, uh, and, and maybe there needs to be more work in, along those lines. Have you run into Rupert Sheldrake? Yes, I have. Yeah, I know. He's interested in doing a lot of mm -hmm. peripheral investigation. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, as, as far as, you know, kind of steering it back to what we were talking about with uh -huh. stochastic resonance, one of the benefits of that, and it is a very practical example, of introducing noise or chaos into a, any system. 
mm-hmm. is that there is a um, when when we get older we start to lose our balance we get um, our our cognitive functions you know, are, uh, have an aspect that that um, well I'll back up a little bit there is a theory that the brain generates its own noise. Um, and that noise, some people theorize that that noise is actually a key component of consciousness or of mm-hmm. cognition. Um, and one interesting um, phenomenon that is that when older people start to get older and they, and they lose their ability to have their body in balance, so they, you know, they're more wobbly. Um, it's there's been some research done where you can put in the soles of the shoe these pads that generate noise they're a a random pattern of impulses and the elderly people that are are losing their balance when they wear these soles they and they have increased balance like to the level of a 20 year old in in some cases there's also some research that now this is actual noise or is this uh, a physical 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 vibration that isn't a a regular sine wave it's chaotic you know uh, it's stochastic noise what so would would the loss of balance be related to the loss of feeling in the feet so that your feet are no longer as sensitive to the natural noise that you're getting from the ground it may be it's something to do with like the whatever the signal in your brain that is responsible for telling your body where it's located in space and keeping your balance is uh, okay is, isn't very strong that signal is weak and so mm-hmm. by introducing noise you're boosting you know it's that same aspect of boosting boosting the signal and now uh-huh. okay they can their body can hear hey i want stuff. a pair of those <laughs> yeah <laughs> no kidding yeah it's also being looked at and and um from what i understand used successfully with to treat symptoms or uh in parkinson's disease where there's a lot of shaking uh-huh. and, and uncontrollable you know uh, shaking that those yeah. symptoms can be reduced by introducing noise stochastic uh chaos however you want to look at it yeah so I think that there's this balancing aspect. So, you know, when you're talking about art and why are you doing, why did anybody do it? Why did the you know first people start making art in the first place? Mm-hmm. And I, my own personal um, thinking on this is that it's a hygienic, a mental hygienic process. It's a like dreaming. Mm-hmm. It's necessary for a balancing of the cognitive functions and there's this um uh, balance that we can easily think of in terms of our physical bodies but there's also we know although we don't really understand you know what that may look like when we look, scan a brain like but we know what we're saying when we say i i feel balanced emotionally intellectually you know all my cognitive functions i'm i'm in touch with the world my senses are in attuned um and um and so we know what that means but even though we don't really understand how it is created in the mind and in the body so i think that there's something similar to art and dreams that is taking this information uh, well, it's taking the 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 noise essentially, and making it into order, bringing bringing about order, and that brings about order with you know within our cells, within mm-hmm. our system, our cognitive um, and uh, cognitive functions. So that would be true of any creative endeavor. <laughs> You know what? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's, yeah. and I think there's a way to look at life that way, to look at your everyday, like right now, experience as sort of this work of art in a way. 
-hmm. that you are perceiving and um, you know things can be looked at in not just a canvas but mm -hmm. just everyday life can be looked at every object and every experience and sensation can be interpreted a million different ways and our and we're automatically sort of our minds are doing that for us at making sense of it sure our minds are curating every moment for us because mm -hmm it's curated according to whatever our interest happens to be at the moment. So the things that we notice are related to our interest or our goals or right. Uh, which, which yes. becomes the boundary that we put around our system. Otherwise we get overwhelmed by all the detail. And right. Right. Yeah. So, so I really like your idea about how they might've started doing art as a way of kind of mental hygiene or restoration. Well, well, in the cave, let's just say, you know, we know that the, the earliest forms of art have been found in caves. Mm -hmm. And you have to think about, it, it's way back in the cave, there's no natural sunlight, so there's a torch, there's a fire. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when, when, you're, when you've got a flickering flame and uh, in a cave there's shadows and on a, a rock surface that is irregular, there's a lot of like shapes and shadows that are there to for the mind to uh -huh. nice yeah. yeah 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 so I that's that. you know maybe that hey that you know the 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 person didn't have the language to say you know this uh, hey i see the animals that we hunt <laughs> on the wall uh, but um, that's what they were doing perhaps is not well, and that answers another Yep. That answers another question for me because I always thought how, you know, how could they have back in the cave, they didn't have the model to look at because the animal was out in the field someplace or, you know, out attacking their neighbors or whatever. So they weren't, they didn't have a, a they didn't have a photograph to work from. And yet they created right. these beautiful right. visions of these animals. But I find for myself as well that drawing on a blank sheet of paper, my drawings are very childish and elementary. But if I am looking at some chaos on a canvas and I see a figure in there, the figure that I see is always much closer to reality, a more, yeah. beautiful, a more beautiful version of reality. And then yes. when I draw that figure out, I get something that's very interesting compared to the elementary thing I might have drawn from a blank sheet of paper. So Absolutely. that is, might very well have been what was happening with the cave people. Absolutely. But, I, but I wanted to add one other thing to that, and that is that um, looking at it as a, a, personal, a personal renewal is, I think, a very valuable aspect of it for me and I, and I think for other people as well, but I also have come to think over the years that because each of us is so unique in the experiences that we've had in life and the way that we curate reality and the way that, um, the way that we see the world because of all the books that we've read and the friends that we've had. And I mean, you know how rich an individual life is that if each of us doesn't find some way to express that individuality out into the world, the world becomes a much poorer place because of it. And that that is why every person should find some vehicle for creativity to be offering. It, it, it's a uh, interactive thing, right? You're from, from the chaos, you're bringing in this, rejuvenation to your own personal order but then you're giving back out into the world what you gained from it and through that we are enhancing the wholeness of the community i couldn't agree more yes um, it just it seems like um and i know we're not the you know first people to talk about this way to approach art and to approach um you know, drawing the negative space and, and that type of thing um, mm -hmm. and, and seeing things emerge. But I, I came across this sort of on my own and then I looked out there and I thought, and I saw that, okay, you know, this isn't anything new. People have known about this for a long time, but, the, but I didn't, 
this isn't how I was ever taught or introduced to art in school. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's so not how I was contrary. taught either. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I never, I never started painting until I was fifty, okay. and I yeah. never thought I had any creativity at all until I was about fifty-five, and that's when yeah. I started taking this class on the elements and principles of design, and it huh. sort of rewrote my brain what I learned in that class, and. Um, and it's changed the way that I look at the whole world. So. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Do, do you wish that you would have uh, come across that earlier in your life? Well, but then I wouldn't be the person that I am, you know, <laughs> our, our journeys are so unique and we go through so many, what I wish is that my brain had awakened earlier. Yeah. I didn't, my brain didn't really wake up until about two years ago. And ever since then, I have just been on fire trying to learn as much as I can about everything. But before that, I was perfectly happy to puddle along and read the same books that I'd read over and over and over again many times and, and binge watch Netflix series and, you know, yeah. wasted a lot of years. So was there something that happened two years ago that woke your brain up? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> An event or? Well, I, I, uh, I have an older daughter who challenged me to watch some videos on um, addictive eating by a woman by the name of Susan Pierce Thompson. Okay. And she was relating how um, the way that we eat can affect our brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I could see myself in the years that I had been less than disciplined about the way that I ate and had kind of fallen over into, you know, indiscriminate snacking and eating sugar. And I knew those things were very damaging to me and damaging to my brain and damaging to my outlook on life, but I couldn't seem to let it go. But I watched these videos and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm just like those rats that she's talking about. I don't <laughs> want to be a rat. <laughs> <laughs> and and so I started doing her program, which was basically a Food Addicts Anonymous eating program. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that you you're kind of doing intermittent fasting. You have at least 13 mm -hmm. hours between your evening meal and your morning meal, and then you don't eat sugar, you don't eat flour, and you know, fairly simple thing. You can you know eat a lot of protein and vegetables and fruit and so forth, but. So over the course of a year and a half, I lost 85 pounds and, and rewrote my brain. And I also stopped painting altogether because I sort of was at peace for the first time in many years. And I realized that a lot of my painting had been trying to work out where that anxiety was coming from. And I no longer had the anxiety because life was good. I was peaceful. <laughs> I wasn't addicted anymore. And so I didn't have any direction. So I thought, I don't know if I'm supposed to just stop painting or yeah. if um, I should try it one more time. So I went back one more time and took the class again this spring, the creativity okay. class. Yeah. And, I, and I produced 20 paintings of cello players. So if you look at my website, I you'll did see that. I, I really like this. Yeah, the cello players. And, uh, and I realized, okay, that impulse is still there. But along with it now is this impulse that I started on a couple of years ago with reading, reading Jordan Peterson, watching his videos, Mm -hmm. led me into following a lot of other people who are onto interesting things. And so woke up my brain and, and the, the academic interest and my, um, my interest in trying to understand these fundamental truths that guide the world and how they show up in every domain of knowledge and how they're transferable from one domain to another. And how even the lesson that a child can learn making mud pies can be transferable over into the economic sphere. So that says to me that there is some beautiful design and order in the universe. And, um, and I want other people to see that same yeah, yeah. beauty that I see. Absolutely. It's beauty, isn't it? It's, yeah. um, that's what it's about. So did you, did you, um, change the way you approached painting two years ago 
was there a way that you painted and thought about the process or did the process before you had this awakening? And then, uh, huh, that's a good question. I can't say that I changed the process so much, but but there was a change in my um. Maybe the process was the same, but but each moment of the process was different. <laughs> okay. Maybe I maybe I do the same thing where I I I create the chaos on the on the canvas, but then when I start painting, there's a different part of me that's looking for the story. There's a different part of me that's looking for the music or the the beauty than was there before. It's a much more peaceful process to me now than it used to be. Yeah. Um, and and I, I don't understand, I can't really articulate what the difference is, but I'll give it some thought. Yeah. yeah. And I don't feel as driven to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, when I had the class and I had to produce two big paintings every week, Obviously, I had to hustle, you know, and get them done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, and I'm not having to hustle right now. I do have some commissions on the back burner that I need to get started on. But, yeah. but I approach the, I think I approach the creative process a little differently to mm -hmm. what I want to say and uh, maybe the sense of peace that's underneath it all rather than the anxiety. I see, yeah. So it sounds like maybe before you had a lot of more anxiety and there was maybe uh, something that you were trying to fill or fulfill or appease or something with your work. And yes. then uh -huh. at, at some point suddenly or over some period of time, you something else came into that and filled that void within you so that you the the painting wasn't that thing that you hmm. were looking to put put into that hole into that void and and fulfill it um, yeah that, so that that's an interesting way to look at it um so i've been a follower of jesus christ since uh, hmm. 1980 okay and um and obviously during that time, I've had times when I was more avid and times when I was uh, more drifting and times when I had mm -hmm. doubts and times when I've been very, very interested, very faithful followers. So, I mean, I've, you know, I've had a life experience like anybody else's life experience. Mm -hmm. But I would say that during those years, uh, probably the last 15 years, especially when I struggled a lot with the food issue, that... Um, my faith was very real to me. So it wasn't like I was trying to fill a hole that was left by, by not having God with me. But um, I definitely, in, in my personal relationships, I would say maybe, I didn't feel, uh, I had a lot of struggle with feeling worthy of love or feeling, um, that there was uh, that there was a, any meaning in my life, my life purpose, mm -hmm. outside of my art. It mm -hmm. seemed like my art gave me a role to play, and that if even though I might feel that people couldn't see any value to me in other ways, they would see value to me in my art. Yes. And so it wasn't. I knew that I had infinite value in God's eyes because I know that he sees me through the cross of Christ. And so, so there's an infinite value there, but I didn't feel that I had that value to other people. Yeah. And, and I don't think that that was based on reality. That was just my perception of how things looked because I was mm -hmm. trapped inside this addiction. Mm -hmm. And the addiction made me feel flawed. And and it wasn't even so much the appearance. 
obviously my appearance was flawed because of the extra weight, but it was more how I felt flawed because I couldn't control that aspect of my life. I was trying to be my own control over that. And I think addiction is this weird thing. It's a very weird thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can get addicted to anything, but (laughs) anytime one of those addictions gets control of you, you, you feel helpless. Yes. Even though I knew that in Christ, uh, he is, he was everything. I was not helpless. I've always had him. I still couldn't seem to give that to him. It was kind of like Augustine always said, uh, Lord, save me from my lust, but not quite yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let me keep a little bit of that. Yeah. And, um, And, and yet there was a part of me that felt really filled with anxiety over even recognizing that aspect of myself. And, mm-hmm. and once the addiction was more or less gone, then that, that thing was just no longer important anymore. So yeah, and it's hard, hard to put into words, but yeah, yeah, no, that's great. I mean, um, So if I could ask, was there a, you mentioned um, you watch these videos and that sort of puts you on this path towards healthy eating mm-hmm. and you cut out a lot of the sugar and the flour and things like that and yeah. started to feel better and think better. Mm-hmm. What Was that it? I mean, do you feel like there was, um, that was the catalyst, sort of a biological chemical catalyst that then led to this um your ability to sort of open this other part of yourself up and give that away to christ as well or was you know did something else happen was there um or was it just sort of the time it was the time that that was going to happen hmm well, there were other things going on in our lives. Um, in the background of all that, there was a extremely traumatic situation that was happening, mm-hmm. and um, which I don't want to go into. But yeah, sure. But um, certainly gave me a great appreciation of not being burdened with that when I had this other thing to to be. Um, I wanted to be in a place where I could really give that to the Lord and walk through that with him and not be all tangled up in my own garbage, you know, so to speak. Yeah. 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 And, and the other thing I would say is yes, the chemical change took place almost immediately within like the first week or two of Mm -hmm. getting off of sugar and flour immediately felt more freedom. Mm -hmm. But any of those things playing out over time, the 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 desires will creep back in and so to get to a place where you can allow the holy spirit to govern those impulses mm-hmm. is a long learning process it's not an overnight thing and yeah. and that long learning process also has a great enriching and deepening aspect mm-hmm. i would say and then about midway through that i started uh I hadn't been in Bible study for several years and I started a Bible study on the book of Hebrews mm-hmm. that was part of the um, precept organization. I don't know if you've ever studied the Bible with precept, but it's, no. it's, it's very much inductive, um, really exploring word by word, um, phrase by phrase, really trying to see what the Bible is saying. And the book of Hebrews was so incredibly rich that I felt like by the time I got through it, that if I was ever off on a desert island and I could only choose one book of the Bible, the book of Hebrews would be enough because there, there's just yeah. enough there. And uh, that also enriched my view of the world. It gave me this, um, I've been trying to put this into words in the last few days, but it's this kind of picture of, you know, we were talking about how a word only has as much meaning as the receiver is prepared to understand. 
Yes. I think in the same way that God's word, when it was first given to us, yes, was complete in everything that we will ever need to understand it. But we will only understand it as we grow in our capacity to understand it. And so what we know now about physics completely changes the meaning of some of the things that are no doesn't change the meaning completely enhances the meaning of some of the things that are in the scripture yeah yeah. so in the last few days i've been looking at the book of john and john chapter one Mm -hmm. and i read the bible differently now because of jordan peterson yeah because when he teaches the Bible, he says, well, now, why did it say this instead of that? You know, so now when I start reading, I'll be, you know, when that says is, is that really is? And then I'll go back and I look in the Greek interlinear. Are you still there, Alex? Yeah, I'm back. Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. Um, I, I look at the Greek interlinear translation on Bible Hub. And I start looking at it word by word. And the first chapter of John is a physics textbook. It is mind blowing. (laughs) I mean, there's quantum physics all through there, which I never would have seen before I knew anything about quantum physics. And right now I only know enough to be dangerous. But um, I think the whole word is like that. There's a riches there that we have no idea about because we are still stumbling around in the darkness. But yeah, as, yeah. as we grow in our capacity to understand the universe, I think it will unfold for us more and more. Yes. Well, there's something that, you know, Joseph Campbell, if you've ever studied. Yeah, I, we had to read Joseph Campbell when I was in college. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but I haven't read it since. Well, something that you're saying sort of... Uh, brings that up for me because he's talking you know the power of myth and Mm -hmm. that in this um sort of post-enlightenment or post-modernity now but Mm -hmm. we got to a place where you know the 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 myths didn't hold any uh, meaning for us any substance because we knew better you know we know the sun and the physics and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. And it just got to the point to where the materialist um, ask view of things and the Descartes, the Cartesian view of the world um, came to just sort of obliterate, you know, our connection to the the mystical mm-hmm. or the, the unknown, the mystery. Right. And yeah. Um, and I think that there's a way that physics is now moving into this realm back into the you know, with um, in, entanglement and action at a distance and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. that uh, in non-locality and uh, many of the different concepts are just, um, if, if you can understand it at least to the level that you can realize how strange it is, it, I think it, re- it can renew that sense of mystery and mm-hmm. awe and that that can really put a person in touch with, you know, that, Hey, that, that there's, there's something here that's not just the materialistic world that we see. Mm-hmm. There's something underneath that. And it isn't surprising that the Bible would describe that reality because it's the same reality yeah. <laughs> that they're yeah. always having. <laughs> you know, that's, uh-huh. it's not a new reality it's just a new language right. to understand that um there was a quote by Rumi that stood out to me and if i can find it really quick this brings it up um okay he says um new organs of perception come into being as a result of necessity. Therefore, O man, increase your necessity so that you may increase your perception. Ah, anomaly. See, that's anomaly all over. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It is. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So very briefly, I just want to bring it back around before we close off because we've been about an hour and 10 minutes now, I think. Okay, yeah. Um, 
you were just talking about all these different aspects of quantum physics, and I was thinking back to your very early discussion about doodling and um, how you, when you start to observe things arising mm -hmm. and how you have to be careful not to, not to overthink it at that moment, and that's where you can stay in this flow state. Yes. And that made me think about quantum physics and how the thing changes when you observe it, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. It concretizes. Yeah. The, the waveform collapses and yeah. the thing becomes where it is. Up until that point, it isn't anywhere. It doesn't exist. Or it's, it's all the all potential. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. something else that uh, maybe yeah. if we talk again, we can, you know, sort of continue on, on that vein. Well, let's get it on the calendar, Alex. And um, I'm going to send this to you, and you can look it over and see if you feel comfortable with releasing it out into the cyber sphere. And if so, okay. I think I think it would be a lot of fun for people. We, okay, cover, we, covered, we covered the gamut today. <laughs> yeah, we did. It was fun for me. It was fun for me, too. Thank you okay. so much. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.